This message was recorded during a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Well, good morning. Thanks for coming. Uh, we're going to, this is Cornerstone U, going to kick off a, a new class this month called Freed from Shame. And, uh, and I've been looking forward to this class, talking with Kent about it, and and I think it, it's, a, it's a class that I think is actually very important. Um, as I've been preparing and thinking through this, I think it's something that that we can really, uh, that we need to, even as a church, think about more. And not only how to define shame, but see the effects of it in our lives. And, and not only the effects of it, but also the Bible has a lot to say about shame. Because um, shame is connected with our sin, and so the Bible has a lot to say about shame, and not just the Bible, but the gospel has a lot to say about shame. Jesus has a lot to, to say about shame. Shame. Jesus has, in fact, dealt with our shame. But at times, as we'll look at, shame can be elusive. Shame can be hard to really wrap our minds around or see its effects in our lives. And so this, this morning, what I'm doing is I want to define shame for us. So I want us to have a clear definition. I want to expose it. So I want to bring it to the light. But then I also want to end with, uh, I want Jesus to have the final word this morning. Because um, I think Jesus speaks a better word. Jesus speaks the best word, the true word. Uh, so we want to end with hearing from Christ this morning. Next week, Kent is going to look at what the Bible has to sh say about shame through the Old Testament. So before Christ's coming, what does shame look like? And then Jeff um, is going to talk about how does Christ, he's just going to focus, his class, the third week, is going to focus on Christ and our shame. And then that fourth week, Kent's going to look about now that Christ has come and Christ has dealt with our shame, what does it look like to live now in Christ dealing with our shame? So, um, so these four weeks, I, I pray and I trust that not only will we, that, that this will take us deeper, uh, give us a deeper appreciation, give us a deeper amazement at what Christ has done in the gospel. Not only in dealing with the guilt of our sin, but the shame of it. And, and shame is something that is very near and dear to us. Unfortunately, it can be hard for us to really apply the gospel and see how Christ truly is making all things new. And so I feel, as I've prepared for this and prayed for this, I've, I've felt, I think, an appropriate weight. I think there's a, there's a weight that comes as we talk about this topic, um, an appropriate one. But I know that as we talk about shame, we're, we're getting to places in our hearts that are uncomfortable places in our lives that we don't like people to enter into. We would prefer with our shame to kind of keep it at bay, to not really to bring it to the light, to not really consider how it is affecting us. Uh, but, but the beauty of the gospel and the promise of the gospel, the promise of Christ himself is that, that he promises to make all things new. <laughs> and that's why we're here this morning is because Jesus 
is and has and is continuing and will one day make all things new permanently. And so now we have the privilege of applying and knowing Him and being in fellowship with Him. And so, so please join me as I pray and just ask God to help us and that He would, he would meet with us this morning, that as we open His Word, that as we talk about shame, that, that the Lord would begin to minister to our hearts. The Lord would begin to, to help us to apply the gospel, to show himself to us. So pray with me now. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. I thank you, Lord, that, that, that you, you have come. Christ, you have come, and you promised that you will come again, and you have, you have left us with the Holy Spirit. You said that it would be better for you to part so that the Spirit will come. So I pray that... that that through the power of the Spirit, Lord, that you would be with us this morning. That as we consider this topic of shame, that as we consider this topic that is so close to home, that can be so sensitive, that can be so hard, that can be so, in many ways, frightening even to think about, that there would be peace. That there would be, that you would free us from shame. That not only that you say that, but that we would believe that you have done that that You are making all things new, that we are new creations in Christ, that the old truly has passed and the new has come, and that we can believe and trust that, that, what, that, that the Son, the One whom the Son has set free, is free indeed. And so, Father, I pray that as we consider this topic, that, that You would help us, give us faith, give us eyes to see, give us hearts to, to trust in You and Your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you can go ahead and open your Bible if you have. We're going to begin in Genesis 2, verse 23. While you're turning there, I do want to highlight that a lot of the content of what we're going to share um, is from this book, Ed Welch, Shame Interrupted. So he, he does an in-depth study on this topic. I highly recommend it. Um, he has discussion questions at the end of it that can lead you after each chapter just to, to ask helpful follow-up. And so I encourage you, we have this in our bookstore. If we run out, we'll order more. Amazon's a great place to order that, so you can order on, on Amazon as well. But this is a great resource that, um, that we as pastors have greatly benefited from. I've greatly benefited from this book. And I'll read some from this book. This morning. So, um, Genesis 2, beginning in verse 23. Then the man said, so this is Adam, right? He, he, he still hasn't found a helper fit for him. God takes his rib, forms woman. And this is, this is Adam's response, beginning in verse 23. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now notice this, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and both 
were not ashamed. Isn't that interesting? They were both naked and were not ashamed. Ed Welch, he, he, he addresses this verse because he says it's interesting, isn't it? You have woman created from man. You have a helper provided. Man is rejoicing in this provision. And then Genesis 2.24, you have this picture of, okay, this is what marriage is going to be, right? This is, this is the picture of marriage. This is the picture of, of that union that God has given. to fill. Here's, here's what God is going to use to fill the earth, to provide a helper, to fulfill that, that, that call to, to fill the earth. But then, after that, the writer says they were both naked and unashamed. They were both naked and not ashamed. Now, now, there's a couple of ways we can think about this. The first can be is that that was just kind of a throwaway statement. You know, just kind of a, here, here's a final detail. Hey, just FYI, you know, here's, here's how they were living in the garden. Or, this could be one of the most important features of the story. This could be something that, that the writer, that God himself, wants to highlight for us wants to highlight, have the last word of not only did God provide a helper, not only did God provide for Adam and Eve, but this is how they were living. They were able to, to live fully with one another. They were able to, there was no shame. They were completely bare with one another. This was not just talking about physical appearance, but an intimacy, right? There was a transparency that was present. Um, and so, Welch said, this is more probably like if you've ever watched an, an Apple event. If you ever watched Apple unveil a new product, Steve Jobs, he's, he's passed away now, but he was one of the founders of Apple. So he would go through everything. He would, he would say, here's this product, this product, this product, toward the end, and everybody's like, all right, we're done. And then he says, but one more thing. And he's like, here is an iPhone. And it's like just this huge moment where it's like, this is what everyone has been waiting for. This is what's going to change everything, is this last moment, this kind of exclamation point moment where at the end, he says, iPhone. And everyone's like, whoa. Well, I think here, what we're seeing is that God is providing for Adam. God is provide. He's created Adam in his image. He's put him in a place He's put him in a garden. He's given him land and he's given him dominion. He's provided him even with a helper that is now fit for him to help fulfill the mission that he's given him. But now, the last thing that, that he has, the, he's always had, but the writer wants us to know that he has is that they were both naked and they were both unashamed. Can you imagine a time in human history when shame did not exist? When shame did not exist? Verse 25 informs us that there was a time in human history when shame was not part of the human dilemma. It was not even a category. Not even a category. Nakedness was not a thing. It just wasn't a concern. Hiding was not a thing. Isolation was not a thing. 
there was fellowship with God and there was fellowship with one another perfectly. Perfectly. There was safety. There was trust. There was intimacy that was being experienced between God and between man and woman, between the human race. This is the picture. This is what was meant to carry on. This was meant to characterize God's creation. Yet we know that this experience is short-lived, right? We know that all you have to do is read a few more verses and you see that this, this intimacy, this life without shame is quickly gone. Genesis 3-7. They've disobeyed God, haven't they? They've listened to the serpent. And now listen to these words. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths notice the first thing that is noticed by Adam and Eve their eyes are opened and the first thing they notice is their is their nakedness the first thing they notice is that they feel exposed so they, they, there's this need to hide. There is this need that, that they suddenly feel that I need to cover up, that I don't feel safe, that, I, that, I, this, this, that we're together, that we're married, that we're, we're in this relationship, but now that sin has entered the world, something's different. I don't feel this safetyness. I don't feel safe anymore. I feel, I feel like I need to cover up now. The security that they enjoyed without the presence of sin in the garden has now been removed. And just notice that, that, that initial response, it's to hide. It's to cover up. It's to conceal. They hide not only, they're not only trying to cover themselves, but remember, they're also trying to hide from God. They hide themselves. Remember, they were at once walking with God, fellowshipping with God. There's this picture of fellowship, but now... They hear and know that God is coming and instead of running to Him, they're now running away from Him. And now they're hiding from Him. They don't want to be seen. They don't, they, they don't feel safe. They feel ashamed. So now, what does shame lead them to is isolation. They feel dirty. They feel like they need to cover up. They feel like they... alone yet notice God's response what does God do this is so encouraging isn't it notice God's response he doesn't leave them does he he calls for him he calls for him in the midst of sin in the midst of shame in the midst of disobedience God calls for them God draws near to them. God provides clothes for them. They tried to make clothes for themselves, but God provides clothes for them. He draws near to them. He, yes, is there consequences for their sin? Yes. He doesn't overlook their sin. There's consequences. But He draws near to them and He leaves them with a promise, doesn't He? 
he leaves them with a promise that 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 this the head of the serpent will be crushed and one of your sons his heel will be bruised this will this sin will be dealt with one day and so what we see in the garden is that this is the trajectory that God sets for His people. That in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of, of our guilt before God, God, we serve a God who draws near. We serve a God who calls out. We serve a God who clothes man and woman. So God is in the business of drawing near to us. God is in the business to draw near to those of us who feel shame. Not only does He draw near to us, but we will see in Christ that He entered into our shame. He didn't just stay on the outside of it. He didn't just say that, here, let me draw near to you and clothe you. No, He came into our shame and He was clothed with our shame. He took on our shame and wore it Himself. And then He graciously clothes us with Himself. And gives us back that fellowship. Gives us back that intimacy. Gives us back that safety in Him. God has a unique affection for the shamed. God, as you read Scripture, what you see is God is constantly has His eye for the rejected. He is always looking out and drawing near to the isolated, the barren, the poor, the widow, the sick. The leper, the oppressed, the prodigal. These are God's people, aren't they? These are God's people. These are who God is drawing near to. This is who God is looking for. And brothers and sisters, these are us. We need to be able to say that. It should comfort us that God's response to human chain is not one of running away from us, but in fact running to us. And not only running to us, but becoming a place of refuge, of safety, of security. He is our hiding place. He is the one that we can go to. He is the one that can remove our shame. But yet this is so hard for us to remember. This is so hard for us to believe and live in the good end. And that's part of the problem. And here's part of the problem. Part of the problem is that we are much better at believing that God has dealt with the guilt of our sin than the shame of it. It's easy for us to say, yes, I believe that the guilt of my, my sin has been dealt with. That on the cross, that God is, is judge over all, is saying innocent. Is saying, yes, Jesus has dealt with the guilt of your sin, but you can still leave there believing that you're innocent and still feel dirty? Still feel rejected? Still feel alone? Still feeling like, yes, I, God, you see that, but no one else does? Feeling like, yes, God, I am. you have forgiven the guilt of my sin, but there's things that are inside of me that I have done or that have been done to me that no one can understand. But, I, but, but what I want to say, and what Jesus wants to say, and what, what we want to say in this class is that 
that shame that you want to bury, that shame that you feel like that you just can't talk about. What we want to say is, is that the gospel, Christ himself is saying, yes, you can talk about this. The, the shame, there are lies of shame. And we want to, shame loves to live in the darkness, loves to stay inside of us. But what we have to do with shame is expose it. We have to bring it to the light. We have to talk about it. And, and, and so it's not only that Christ forgives us of the guilt of our sin, but He is now our new identity. It is He is who we are. And so it frees us. It lifts. That You should feel so much of the time, we, we feel we, when we're, and I've done this, I, I still do this. When we talk about our testimony, I feel like just the weight of my sin just the, and what I think what we mean by that is the guilt of our sin is kind of, it comes off of our shoulders. I feel like I'm not carrying it anymore. Well, what shame does is that there's this low-grade guilt that remains that we just can't shake, that just seems to come up again and again and again. Jesus came to deal with that just as much as He came to deal with the guilt of our sin. So it's important that we have a a clear definition of what shame is. And so I want to begin with that. I'm going to have quotes and stuff. Sorry, I don't have an outline. What I'm going to do is I will post all the quotes and stuff that I have on the website. So if you want to get that, you can have those, rehearse them, look at them. Um, So I will provide that for you. Um, But my first point, defining shame. So let's define it. So before we define shame, I want to first look at guilt because this is the comp- they're not in competition, but it's just hard for us to to see the difference. So I want to clearly define guilt, and then I want us to clearly define shame, and then we're going to move forward. So here's here's guilt. Guilt, you are in a for for guilt, you're in a courtroom. Only one gaze matters. You are legally liable before God for your sin. You need someone to rescue you. Forgiveness of sins is secured only by Jesus. And in response to God's continual appeals, you turn toward the slain and risen Lamb of God. You acknowledge your sin, you receive forgiveness, and you turn away from sin. So the imagery of guilt, the guilt of our sin, is usually, but not exclusively, a courtroom. And in this courtroom, there's only one gaze that matters, and that is that of the judge. It is irrelevant at this point what other people think, right? Only the judge, the only, the only opinion, the only person that we're listening to is what that judge has to say about us. So as we stand before that judge and he says over us, guilty. Or if he says over us, not guilty, that's all that matters. So that's the guilt. It's the guilt so let's look at shame. You're no longer in a courtroom, but you're in a public square. All eyes are on you, and you know it. You are not acceptable before God and other people. You are defined by sin. Your own or your humiliation because of the sin of others, that's what you're defined by. You need rescue forgiveness of sins, but you also need covering. You need, 
inclusion, and cleansing. Especially when you've been humiliated. These are secured only by Jesus. Notice the difference? Can you, can you just sense the difference? This is what Welch says. He provides two definitions. One, he uses stronger language. Shame is the, is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. You feel exposed and humiliated. Or, here, or to strengthen the language, this is what he says. You are disgraced because you acted less than human. You were treated as if you were less than human. Or you were associated with something less than human. And there are witnesses. So notice... One of the significant differences with our shame is, is the public nature of it, right? There is a public nature to shame. There is a deep humiliation that shame brings that makes one feel naked, makes us feel exposed, makes us feel isolated, makes us feel reje rejected. It's easier for us to hide guilt than it is for us to hide shame. Shame always feels like it's exposed. You walk around and you just feel like that I'm constantly exposed. And you just want to hide. You want to hide inside yourself. You want to hide in things. You carry it around with you wherever you go. And I'm guessing that many of us in here are more familiar with guilt than we are with shame. I may be wrong about that. But shame can be elusive, can it? It can pop up when we least expect it. Or, it's harder for us to really see and call it what it is. To see that the reason that I'm struggling right now with, say, fear of man. Fear of man. Our shame is connected with fear of man. Have, if you struggle with that, have you thought about it? It can be hard for us to nail down what exactly is going on. It's hard for us to identify shame. But yet, once we identify it, once we have these categories, once we begin to expose it, what we begin to see is that shame is everywhere. Shame is, is functioning in our lives constantly. And it needs to be addressed. It needs to be exposed. Like I said earlier, the reality is a judge can say not guilty to us, but we can still leave that courtroom feeling shame. Still feeling the effects of whatever wrong we have done or has been done to us. So we leave that courtroom. We come in on a Sunday morning. We go to our community. We go to our job. We just wake up and all the words that we're hearing, what we hear is just, yes, I'm not guilty, but man, I... I am worthless. I am dirty. I, I just, if people only knew, I am a reject. I am damaged goods. I am a loser. I am not like these people. People don't understand me. 
Who am I? They are just lie after lie after lie after lie. And those lies can continue to be in your ear even in the midst of not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. The good news is, is that Jesus, He doesn't just say to us, not guilty. He doesn't just say to us, forgiven. What He says to us is new creation. What He says to us is new identity. What, what He says to us is, I didn't come just to say not guilty of, over you. I came to wash you. I came to touch you. I came so that I could enter into your shame and become it, and you could enter into my joy. You could enter into the safety of knowing and having fellowship with me. So now that we've defined shame, I also want us to expose it. Shame does not want to be exposed. It, it wants to live in the darkness of our souls, in the darkness of our minds, in the darkness of our hearts. Whenever we were doing a, a kitchen remodel um, in our in our home we had water damage had to rip up the floor and uh, and there was asbestos can't expose asbestos bad news um, and it is it's, it's dangerous but you know what people will normally do or back then a cheaper fix is just to layer the floor just put a new floor on top of that bad boy <laughs> don't worry about getting underneath dealing with the problem um, but, but it was dangerous. We had to pay somebody to come fix it. Had to, and what these people had to do is that we had to put plastic all around. They had to blow it out. I mean, it was a big ordeal. They had to clean up everything, but they had to take it all the way down to the subflooring, to the very bottom. To the very bottom. So it was, there was an expense. There was a cost. There was an easier way to deal with it. We could have just left it. Could have just been fine down there. Maybe. Isn't that how shame works? Let's just leave it. Let's just leave it. Let's not, let's not, let's not do the work of, of ripping it up. Because here's what happens. If we rip it up, if we bring this out into the light, here's what we begin to think. What will people think of? We begin to expose shame. What shame wants us to, to think and, 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 and what shame tempts us to think is if, if I begin to rip this up, if I begin to bring people into this, if, then what's going to happen is people are going to begin to run away from me. People are going to begin to isolate themselves from me. People are going to, to reject me. And so what's easier is that let's just keep this buried. Let's, let's, just, let's just put floor on top of it and let's just keep it down. Let's just keep it in the dark. Let's just keep it down where it needs to be. But what we need to do with shame is we need to expose it. We need to bring it to the light. That is the one thing, the one thing that shame, our shame hates more than anything is being exposed. But when it's exposed, when it is brought to the light, what happens is that we begin to see the power of the gospel at work in our shame. What we begin to see is that all the risk, all the concern, all the things, all the reasons that we gave for not exposing it, once we begin to talk about it, once we begin 
to shed light on. And once we begin to go to those to a pastor, to a trusted friend, to someone who we can confide in, who loves Christ and who loves God, once we begin to expose it, what we begin to see is that all our concerns, all, all our fears can begin to be quieted. And we begin to, to address it. And we begin to expose it. And what we begin to see is this, we begin to see that, man, this, this was killing me. This was robbing me of so much joy. This was this this these things that I have held on to, these things that I have held inside me, have, have kept me from fully enjoying and knowing who God is. And, and and there may be people in here who have had things that have been done to them or things that are just just incredibly hard for you to enter into. And I understand that. I get that this is not easy. But I think what we want to say, what we want to encourage you to say. What we to do is begin to have these discussions. Begin to bring things to the light. Begin to expose where you feel ashamed. If you come on Sunday morning and you just feel like, I am alone here. I am alone here. Then I would encourage you to talk to somebody about that. Begin to talk to people about that. So, Ed Welch, here, here are some ways. Do these sound familiar to you? He just lists some different ways that, that shame can, can enter into our, our lives, can, can affect us, that are, that are present. Sometimes shame grabs hold of your heart and life becomes because of something that happened to you. If you're, if you're maybe... He says, if you're noticeably different, physically, intellectually, or financially, you know shame. Who doesn't feel noticeably different in at least one of these categories? Have you ever said, man, I'm ugly, or maybe I'm stupid? People who went through school with, mis with misunderstood learning disabilities or learning abilities always experience shame. If you carry extra body weight in a culture obsessed with thinness, you carry shame. You fall, fall below the community standards of beauty, you carry shame. You file bankruptcy, lose a job, being forced to rely on the generosity of others, it all brings shame. You grow up with an angry, unpredictable parent who exploded, apologized, and exploded again. You, maybe you lived around someone with irrational anger. Any rejection, neglect, or demeaning words by someone who is supposed to love you, such as a parent or a spouse, brings shame. Any sexual violation brings shame to the victim. It should bring shame to the perpetrator. Maybe shame comes because of something you did. Addicts live with shame. Whether the problem is drugs, alcohol, food, or sex. No one tells you that when you fall in love with any of these, you also say, I do to shame. It's a great, here's a great question. What do you want to hide? Think about that. What do you want to hide? What is, the, what is the one or two things that you just, you want to hide? That is a shortcut to identifying shame in your life. What is, what is it that you want to hide? That is a shortcut to identifying shame in your life. 
I would say as a culture, we're beginning to see as it, with, a social, with social media, with, with, thing, with being, there's, there are these public shamings happening. Have you noticed that? A bad mistake is made. Someone is caught on video doing something that is wrong, but then millions upon millions of people see this happen and, and there's stories of people who have changed their names, moved to different places, and they can't escape this video of what they did. Their shame follows them. Their shame and the opinion of the public follows them. They can't deal with it. And eventually what a, a number of people are doing is taking their own lives. They can't handle it. They, they want to escape shame. And what they do is that either they take their lives or they begin to medicate, they begin to go to drugs, alcohol, whatever they can do just to escape this shame. We're seeing it more and more. Here's, here's uh, what Welch calls a shame's trinity. Nakedness, rejection, and contamination. Those are shame's trinity. The three things. Nakedness, so exposed, vulnerable, rejection, and contamination. Shame is not a mirage. Shame is not something that, is, that, that, that just appears to be a problem. No. Shame, it cannot be... And, and here's the thing. Shame cannot just be fixed with positive thinking. It can't just be like, you know, you're better than what people say. You know, just, that's just a feeling. You don't need to feel that way about yourself. You need to, you need to think positively about yourself. You need to, to say good things about yourself. No. We're not talking about imaginary dirt here. When you feel dirty... It's not imaginary dirt, but it's real sin. Real sin that we have either committed or that has been committed against us. And we feel the dirtiness. We feel it. And we experience the ongoing internal battle of accusations, of lies, of humiliation that we cannot escape. And, and saying positive things is not going to help make us feel better. That should inform not only our own shame, but how we care for those who are walking through shame, who confide in us. If, this, if, if our solution with dealing with shame is, is merely positive reinforcement, reinforcement, or maybe just burying our shame, not dealing with it, then all we're going to do is we're just going to take another layer of flooring and put it on top. Or we're going to put cheap paint over rust going to be hidden for a little bit but over time it's going to show its ugly face again it's not we're not going to be able to deal with it but when we begin to truly expose shame and identify the lies there are lies that we believe about shame or there are things with shame that are truthful that are hard that are real that people feel dirty. They feel rejected. They feel alone. Those are real things. But when, when they bring those to us, what we want to do is we want to take them gently through asking questions, through, through, through asking follow-up questions. We want to take them to the cross. We want to take them to God's Word. We want to begin 
to help them unpack what's going on in their heart. We don't want to say, oh, well, that's just not true about you. You need to stop thinking that. You're, you're, you're doing this. You're great. You're doing that. And there's this. No, it's a moment for us to begin to listen attentively and to draw out that person's heart and to say that, that I think there's things going on in your life that maybe you, not, you are not even realizing that is damaging and harming your walk with Christ. And I want to help you. As you talk, I want to help you. And our help is not trying just to make this person feel better about themselves. It's, it's, it's making them see the beauty and power of the Gospel. It's making them see who Christ is. Not only who Christ is, but who is Christ in them. What does it mean that you are in Christ? And what does your union with Christ, what does your identity in Christ have to say about and that leads us to our third point, because Jesus' word is better. Jesus speaks a better word. Jesus speaks the best word. Jesus really is the only word we need. If we plumb into the depths of who Christ is and what He has done for us, and not only that He has dealt with the guilt of our sin, but the shame of it, then we can camp out there for the rest of our lives, and we will never plumb the depths of it. That is what heaven is going to be. It's going to be looking at Jesus and being amazed at Him and who He is and what He has done for us. We're going to get lost or we're going to lose ourselves in the love of Christ. We're going to live for Him. It's interesting, Hebrews 12, 1-2, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. Despising the shame. He's seated at the right hand of God. This is what John Piper has to say about that. Shame was stripping away every earthly support of Jesus. His friends gave way in shaming abandonment. His reputation gave way in shaming mockery. His decency gave way in shaming nakedness. His comfort gave way in shaming torture. His glorious dignity gave way to the utterly undignified, degrading reflexes of grunting and groaning and screeching. And he despised it. What does that mean? It means that Jesus spoke to shame like this. This is what Jesus says to shame. Listen to me, shame. Do you see that joy that's in front of me? Compared to that, you are less than nothing. You are not worth comparing to that. I despise you. You think you have power? Compared to the joy before me, you have none. It's all about joy, joy, joy. That is my power, not you, shame. You are worthless. You are powerless. You think you can distract me? I won't even look at you. I have a joy set before me. Why would I look at you? You are ugly and despicable, and you are almost finished. You cover me now as with a shroud. Before you can say, so there, I will throw off throw you off like a filthy rag. You think you are great because even last night you made my disciples run away. You are a fool, shame. You are a despicable fool. That abandonment, that loneliness, this cross, these tools of yours, they have all sacred suffering and will save my disciples, not destroy them. You're a fool. Your filthy hands fulfill holy prophecy. Farewell, shame. It is finished. Amen. He was despised and rejected by man, 
a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one whom hid, who men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him, esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, spitten by God and afflicted. I love this picture in Zechariah 3. Joshua the high priest, he's standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan is standing there at his right hand accusing him. And the Lord says to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke you. And Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And so this is just what I imagine in our shame. Here's what we're doing. We're standing before God and what we're, what we're asking for is not, it's not just to say you are forgiven, but it's to receive new clothing. That our filthiness, our rags, we're standing before a holy God. And, 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 and what we see is his, in the light of His holiness, in the light of who He is, all we can see and all we feel and all that as we look at ourselves is filth. It's not just filth, the filthy acts that we have committed and also the filthy acts that have been committed against us. We're standing before God. Being accused. Maybe, maybe it's not just Satan, but it's those voices, those people that have accused you of things. Those people who have said things to you over the years whose voices have not left you even to this day. You're just standing before God and they are just saying word after word, accusation after accusation. And you're just standing before God. First thing God does is He silences all those voices. That's what He does. He silences them. He says, quiet. And then He's, he's looking at you and what, and what He sees is that He sees His dear child who, who not only needs forgiveness of sins, but he, they need new clothes. And this is what I love about this picture is that Joshua, as he's standing before him, this is what God does. He tells the angels. He says, remove the filthy garments from him. He doesn't tell Joshua to do that, does he? He, he removes them for him. He can do that for you. And he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. I, and so not only does God take off the filthy, our filthy rags, but then He puts on His pure vestments. It's what He has for us to wear. It's what He has for us to, to wear around for a daily reality of that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So when shame says, when people see you, all the only thing that people see in your life is your filth, is your unworthiness, is that you're not measuring up. But what God sees and truthfully, what, what, what others see, if they can see correctly, is the righteousness of Christ. It's a life that is transformed by the gospel. It's a life that, that, has, that has now, is not about who we are, but whose we are. It's not about who we are anymore, but whose we are. And, and if we are Christ's, then the promise, the promise, is that Christ is making all things new. The promise that He's committed, that He shed His own blood for, is that He's at work in us. His, working out His good will in and through us for His glory and for our joy. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, you may, that might be you this morning, nor, the, nor idolaters, that's all of us, nor adulterers, that might be you this morning, 
nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were some of all of us. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And I end with with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. We shall be quite certain of the fact, and yet we shall never cease to wonder that his side was gashed, his face was spit upon. Yet here is matter for our faith to rest upon. Beloved, trust yourselves in the hands of your great substitute. Did he bear all this shame? Then there must be more than enough merit and efficacy in this, which was the prelude of his precious death, and especially in his death itself, there must be merit sufficient to put away all transgression, iniquity, and sin. Our shame, this is, this is the good news this morning, our shame is ended, for he has borne it. That's the word for you this morning. Our shame is ended, for he has borne it. Our punishment is removed, he has endured all. Double for all our sins has our Redeemer paid. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, and let peace take full possession of thy weeping heart. Our shame is ended, for he has borne it. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the message that we get to live in the good and day by day and hope in and trust in and become. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that... uh, that you have spoken to us, that they, we have every reason to leave this morning trusting in you. And I do pray more than anything, Lord, that, 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 that you wouldn't just make us aware of our shame, but, but what you have done with our shame. That there is hope for us this morning. I pray for everyone here, I pray for everyone who listens to this, that you would begin to do a good work in their lives, that you would continue to do a work in their lives of removing shame, of of eliminating the lies of shame, that you would not only eliminate the lies of shame, but that you would replace them all the more with the promises and sufficiency of your grace, of of who you are, of what you have done in each of our lives. Personally, individually, you know, every hair on our head, you know, every care of our hearts, you know, every sin that we've committed. You know, every sin that's been committed against us. Yet you promise, you've pledged with your own Son through His own blood that you are for us. And you promise that you will work all things together for our good. Help us to believe that. Help us to trust You. Help us to walk in that. Help us to enjoy that fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the Word of God, to see who God is, and to live in light of His Word and Gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone U.